0: Road to Life, we love you. We're so glad to be back together on our podcast. We're here with Pastor Mike Shepline and we're gonna hear the message from Sunday where you can be inspired through the word of God and maybe even a funny story. For more information, visit roadtolifechurch.com and we'll see you next week. We have been in a series and the title of it has been too strong. I didn't intend for it to go this long, but it ended up going this long. And, um, and what we've been talking about is when we use the word too strong, it's double-edged. One is is the Bible talks about that there's two different types of strength. Both of them are good, not minimizing one. There is natural strength, and when you talk about natural strength, that also encompasses mental strength and those types of things, but the natural person. But then the Bible equally talks about what we, what we find is limitless or strong spiritual strength, and it is limitless. See, God's answer to adversity in our life is number one, is he wants to help us. How many of you are grateful for God's help? But in the middle of the adversity, he wants us to learn to tap into his strength that's available to every one of us, that is bigger and stronger the natural natural has its limitations as to how much it can sustain and how much it can handle and as we experience and learn to tap into his strength life just looks different life feels different because of that what we do is when we go through things we respond differently when we begin to experience the strength of God in our life it causes us and it affects our view and and we begin to respond differently you know just kind of along those lines for years many years we've been here now 21 years but um, every year, sometime in the winter, we always, we get invited to go minister from where we came from, which is San Diego. How many of you know San Diego is an awesome place to leave to go to in the winter? How many of you know what I'm saying? And so we, uh, Jill and I, we go there and, and we minister and we always tack a little bit of personal time in. And one of the things that my wife loves to do is that is she loves to take this particular bike ride that is along the coast. And it goes from Oceanside, and it goes up into Encinitas. I think there's like three towns that it goes. It goes from Oceanside to Carlsbad to Lucadia and into Encinitas. And at Encinitas, there's this coffee house, and it's called Panican Coffee House. And it's old hippie. He's passed away, but old hippie guy moved a railroad um a railroad stop house there that was built in the 1900s and it's right on the coast highway and they just have an incredible little, um, it's kind of like a a diner slash, coffee house slash, with chairs out on the grass. And so we would ride, and it was like a 10-mile ride, 10-ish, and we would ride to go to this. And there was just one thing, and that was this, is being that it goes along the coast, if you've never been to the coast of California, there's a lot of this stuff. Hills, valleys, and hills, up And down, up and down. And if that wasn't enough, because the way that I ride is this: when I know that there is a valley and there is a hill coming, how many of you know what do we do? Oh, we kick it into the highest gear we can and get as much speed as we can to make it down and at least give me enough juice to make it up the halfway up the next hill. How many of you know what I'm saying? But these people. What they did is they put stoplights at the bottom of the hill. They put speed bumps at the bottom of the hill. They put, and if that wasn't enough, they have parking lots at the bottom of the hill. And so cars would pull off at the coast highway to get into the parking lot. And so about the time you get clipped and it's like, here comes a speed bump. Oh, here comes a light oh here comes a car pulling in front and so you have to go slow and and so you you know once you get to the bottom and we all know what that means is in the grind is going up the hill and the first year that Jill and I did it she's like I really want to do this and we didn't have bikes so I said well I'll I'll find us some and we'll rent some bikes well we rented these bikes and I'm just going to tell you straight up they were junkers how many of you know what I'm saying we rented these bikes and as you rode them, you know, it was one of those that, how many of you know what I'm saying? The tires weren't straight. They didn't have a bunch of gears. They were all rusty and, um, and we rode them. And I mean, by the time we got done with that, when we made it to Panic and Coffee House, I'm like, is there anybody we can call to pick us up? It's because it was like, I don't wanna ride this bike back. And so sure enough, we rode back. And as the years went by, I began to, you know, that bikes began to, other places began to become available. And then what happens is, is this past year we went and I heard about, we have some friends in the church that got e-bikes. How many of you know what e-bikes are? The ones that have the electric assist. Okay, so I said, how many of you know where I'm going? I'm like, I want an e-bike. And so we rented these e-bikes, and they have three speed. They, they assist you at three levels. The one is kind of a little bit. The next is medium. And the third was called turbo. And oh, my gosh. We, we got down there, and I'm like, oh, this is awesome. How many of you know what I'm saying? It's like because it assists you and gives you juice going up the hill. I used it all the time, but especially when I went up the hill and and what happened is, is what we've got to realize is that is the way the strength of God is in our life is we can go on our natural strength and we will make it, but it affects our outlook, it affects our attitude, or we can learn to tap into the strength of God and the strength of God affects the journey gives us the juice gives us the ability to stop and say you know this might not be the greatest thing in the world but you know what god you've got me see we all have hills in our life and god wants to teach us to tap into his strength in the hills of our life he wants us to he wants to teach us how to tap into it and you know it what's huge is we must remember that it is a partnership between us and him. God is not gonna do it all. We have to partner with him with our will in order to experience. See, I have a part and God has a part. And that's what we've been talking about when we talk about too strong. As we begin to unpack a passage of scripture that's called the armor of God um, in Ephesians chapter six, and it talks about the strength of God starting in verse 10, but we, it specifically was teaching about how to be strong in God coaching us in how to do that, how to be strong in him, not just tell us about it, but how to do it. You know, when Jesus was getting ready to leave the earth, he knew what was coming for the disciples. He knew that it was going to be tough. He knew that it was going to be difficult. And he said this to them. He said, I've not prayed that God would take you out of the earth, but that he'll keep you. And if you look that up, that God's with you, he's gonna strengthen you, guard you, and protect you in your life. See, what happens many times when we go through stuff, we're just like, God, just get me out of this. Just take me out. You know what I notice is when the world gets difficult around us, especially in the Western world, we Christians began to pray for the second coming of Christ harder. How many of you know what I'm saying? He's coming next week. He's coming next. And I'm not saying, that's okay. But what it is, is many times we want to get out and God wants to grow us through it. He wants to grow us through it. See, Jesus' response, when you remember Acts, after he was crucified and rose from the dead in Acts chapter 1, He appeared to the disciples and their words was, is now the time you're gonna restore your kingdom? And they were referring to David and overtake everything. And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the time, but realize this, God is gonna give you power in your here and in your now. He's gonna give you ability in your here and in your now. And so in Ephesians 6, what we have found is that he covers six pieces of armor. And each piece of armor, represents strengthening or protecting a specific area that as humans, we're vulnerable to Satan attacking our life in that particular area. And so each each piece of armor specifically deals with an area that might not be a bend to you, but it could possibly be a bend to somebody else that we must get hold of God's word in that area. And so today we're on the fifth fifth piece of armor. And I want to start reading um, in Ephesians 6. And I want to be clear about this. If you've not been here previous weeks, you can go online and you can listen to the uh, previous weeks. But I'm going to start reading in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. And what I'm going to do is as I get to the pieces of armor, I'm going to just kind of hold the finger up. Number one, number two, number three, number four, and and then we're going to be on number five. So Ephesians 6, verse 10, he said, finally, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So it's available to us. He he wouldn't tell us to be something or do something that's not available to us. And then in verse 11, he begins to tell us how to be strong in the Lord. Put on the Full armor of God, or another translation says all of the armor. Another one says the complete or every piece of the armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Other translations read his strategy. A strategy is a well thought out plan. Do you know that the enemy has a well thought out plan to try to screw your life up? It's a well. He looks, he anticipates, and it's a well. And so he's talking to us about sailing over that plan in our life. Look at verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the ruler's against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So he tells us, this is where your fight is. Okay, you've got natural strength, but we're talking spiritual here, and it's going to be bigger than anything natural you've got. So get your eyes off of only natural. Verse 4, uh, did I read 13? Oh, no, verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor or the complete armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, notice the statement he didn't say if the day of evil comes, he said when the day. In other words, we're going to tri- have times in our life that are challenging to us. He said when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Verse 14, stand firm then, and this is number one, with the belt of truth, buckled around your ways. The King James says having your loins girt about with truth. And I'm just, just a quick caveat. We talked about this, but they believed and the Greeks believed and the Jews believed that the root of all passion was in their loins. It was the root. It was on the inside. And so he's talking about here, having our passions restrained, having our passions healthy, but if you just give in, to all, everything you're passionate about, it will screw your life up. How many of you know what I'm saying? And then he, that was number one. Number two is this. He said, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, we unpack that word righteousness. And the very first thing we found out is yes, Jesus has paid for my sin and I have right standing with God this way. I don't earn it. He loves me. He cares about me. But then there's another level of righteousness that talk about righteous living. That the way that I live down here is I live right. I tell the truth. I do the right thing. I treat people right. I, he said, realize that we can be righteous here, but if we don't function righteously here, the enemy will use it to screw our life up. How many of you know what I'm saying? It'll screw our life up. So that was number two. And it says, in having your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, what we found out is that God wants me to tap in to his peace while living down here. That wherever my feet take me, wherever I go, that the peace of God is over my life. And it keeps me from being anxious and making irrational decisions that mess everything up because I have peace on the inside and I know how to tap into it. That was the third. In addition to all this, take up The shield of faith, which with you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. We talked about this. We unpacked it last week, that my faith in God and what he's promised in my life extinguishes the accusations when the enemy attacks my mind, when he attacks my life. That I don't just let anything come in, but what I do is I I live by faith, and it's like a shield over my life. And so then the next one is this, and he said, and take, this is the one we're going to talk about today, take the helmet of salvation. Look at that statement, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, but we're going to start with the helmet of salvation. You know, notice it didn't say a helmet of salvation, it said the helmet of salvation. In other words, there's not a whole bunch of them, there's only one. There's not, there's not a whole bunch. And when you look at this word salvation, or you look it up is first helmet is something that protects your head. Or in this context, it's specifically speaking to my mind and my thoughts, where it is something that protects my mind and my thoughts. Remember verse 13 talked about the strategy and the deceits, Um, Or a well thought out plan. Realize this, that we can love God, but where we let our thoughts go, that's where our life will go that if we let our thoughts go, we can love God, but if we let our thoughts go, uh, then our life goes in that direction. See, we can live in God's, we can't live in God's best for our life allowing any old thought to come into our brain and not regulate that thought and take it captive and and stop and ask ourselves, is this in line with my salvation? Is this in line with what God has promised in and over my life. We we cannot let any thought take up residence in our mind because if we do what we allow ourselves to think on today, it's what we live in tomorrow. And so we have to be able to stop in our life. See, the way that God created each and every one of us is that this is his original purpose. You are a spirit, you have a soul, and we live in a body. How many of you wish these bodies lasted longer? How many of you know what I'm saying? How many of you have noticed the Bible says that the outward man or this natural body, it says that it is perishing. How many of you have noticed? I notice as I get older, my hair is relocating. How many of you, how many of you noticed that? It's like moving to different places. Now, look, don't be laughing at me. I know some of you are the same way. My wife is like, your back is hairy. She's like, let me shave it. I'm like, you stay away from my back. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> okay, she told me not to tell everything. <laughs> Did you hear what she said? She said TMI. How many of you think that's too much? <laughs> only you, honey. You're the only one. But when you talk about original design is I am a spirit. You, are, you don't have a spirit. You are a spirit. You, uh, we, the Bible says that we're made in the image of God. We are. I am a spirit. I have a soul, which is my thinking, my will, and my emotions. In original design, I I'm a spirit. This is God. I'm a spirit, spiritually alive. And then my my soul, which is my thoughts, my will, and my emotions, were in agreement with God. And then what happens is is my body then does original design what my soul tells it to do. My soul is the connection between what God promises and what God says and what I do in my life. If my soul tells my body the right things, then I go along in the direction of God. This is the way that God created each and every one of us. This is how mankind was designed to live in original design. But since sin entered the world, the picture that we've learned to function in is this, is the Bible talks about that now we are in what's called a fallen condition or spiritually dead. That's what the Bible calls it. And I want to just look at what it says in Genesis. And I want to give you a couple of scriptures. There's a reason I'm going here to lay this foundation. In Genesis 2 verse 15, when God was speaking to man and talking to him, it says the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So work was around before the fall, amen? Work was, And then in verse 16, it says this, and the Lord God commanded man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but look at verse 17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. Now look at this statement. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Look at the statement there, in the day that you eat of it, the moment that you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, we know this is if you look, Adam lived for several hundred years after sin. He didn't just die, and so when God said, you will surely die, he's speaking of another type of death. And we're going to see in the New Testament that he's speaking of a spiritual death, which is separation from God. Look at how Romans says it in Romans 5, verse 12, and then we're going to jump down to verse 17 and 19. It says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Adam was the mold. How many of you know that if I made a mold, and let's just say that, that this is the, I made a, bol- a mold to make water bottles. And in that mold, there was accidentally one little hole in that mold that every water bottle that came out of that mold would leak. And God said, Adam was the mold. Adam opened the door. Adam poked a hole. Adam created a problem. Now look at what it says in verse 17. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Look at verse 18. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation to everyone, but Christ's one act of obedience, uh, one act of righteousness, brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone because one person disobeyed God many became sinners but because of one other person obeyed God many will be made righteous see we're made righteous when we make Jesus the lord of our life we're made righteous in right standing with God but realize after we make Jesus the lord of our life our soul my thinking when you think about it my choosing my reasoning, and my feelings are used to functioning in that spiritually dead state. They're used to calling the shots, and they've been influenced by the world around me, and all it doesn't take long to figure it out. Just watch 10 minutes of the news, and you will figure out we live in a messed up world. How many of you know what I'm saying? And so, but what's happened is, is we've come to God and we've given him our life, but now our soul, our way of functioning, our way of thinking has been picked up and handed down and God has got to get us to realize that the battle is in the soul. The battle is in the thinking. So when he talks about the helmet of salvation, he said, look, you're going to heaven, but you can go to heaven and live in hell on earth based on what you allow. Out in your soul, and the choices that you make, even though I love you, even though I have a plan, because you live in a fallen world. And yes, you've been made righteous with God, but if you're going to function in His best for your life, you got to do something with that old fallen soul. Are you with me? Because it's the connection. It's the connection between what God has and He's promised for my life and my natural life. It's the connection look at what it says in Ephesians 2, verse 1 through verse 3. He said, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Notice he can't be speaking of natural death. He's talking about spiritual death. You used to live past tense in sin, just like the rest of the world. Obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Verse 3. All of us used to live that way. How do we do it? Following the passionate desires and inclination of our sinful nature. Our very nature. We were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. See, our fallen nature is used to calling the shots our fallen nature is used to being the one that says this is truth that is not our fallen nature is is way far below. Look at what it says in verse three, is it says that our natural uninfluenced soul led us away from God. And if we just give into it, it will lead us away from God again. It will lead us away. We have to do something with our soul. I think this is interesting. Um, Medical science tells us that we function in somewhere between four to seven percent of our mental capacity that's what they said the other not we'll just call it 95% is if if you look at it is it's not even being used let me tell you god did not create us to waste 95% of our brain the other 95% is our relationship with him it only takes 5% to live down here the other 95% is to know the creator of everything there is everything that there is you know where my mind goes, that's where my life goes. It's the connection between what God says and what I think on and do. Romans 12, two says this, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. Now what, I'm gonna stop right there. How many of us would be like, oh yeah, that's me. God, I wanna I want be that new person. Now look at how he said he's gonna do it, by changing the way you think. God said, you want my best? Understand, I'm going to transform. I got promises, But where I'm going to start is you are living in a fallen world. You were raised in a fallen world. You've been through a whole bunch of experiences that have hurt you, that have set you back, and that have told you they're the truth. My word is the truth. My word is the truth. And if you want to live in my best, you're going to need to allow me to help you change the way that you think. Now look at what he said when he does that. Then or after we change the way that we think or begin to think more in line with what God says about us from his word, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. God, how are you gonna change my life? Let's just be honest. I'm gonna be super honest. I'm gonna put my hand up. How many of us got it? I'm just gonna call it a crusty. You got a crusty area that you're just like, God, I just need you to change this. Come on, put look, look. If you don't put your hand up and I got mine up, I'm throwing something at you. Don't be looking at me like Jack, get both hands up. Put them both up. Them both. <laughs> how many how many of you know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, Brad, you can seek your leg up. Go ahead, put that one there too. <laughs> it's but but you you know, you used, how's God gonna change me? He's gonna change me by changing the way that I think, because the way that I think tells my body what to do and what I'm going to believe in the direction I'm going to go. I get, I got born again. I'm spiritually alive. Oh my gosh, Lord, you're so good. But then I got this soul that was raised in a fallen world that the Bible clearly says it just gives in to feelings and all of that. And God says, now what I want you to do is I need you to put on The helmet of salvation. And they're going to throw this up on the screen. The helmet of salvation is when my thinking begins to line up with the truths of the Bible. My thinking. Not what I feel like. Not what I reason. Not what I... But my thinking begins to be changed. The way that I think is changed. Where I see it and I say, okay, God, I realize I got stinking thinking in this area. And Lord... I need you to help me. I identify with what you say. No, I'm not that. I don't care if my mom or my dad or somebody, a respected teacher, somebody said this over my life, or I went through this experience. Lord, I am who you say that I am. God says that is the helmet, not a helmet, the helmet. Of salvation. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not a way, not a truth, not a life, but if you want the way, the truth, and the life, he is the only one that's got it. He's, he's the only one that's got it. You know, always, but especially in trying times, God tries to touch our thinking. He always does, because he knows we're going to react based on our thinking. And he tries to touch our thinking. You know, there's a pattern in the Bible when speaking of us receiving God's best, and it starts all the way back in Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, and it's all the way through the Bible. And the very first thing is God comes into our life and he gives us a promise of better. I like God's promise of better. That's what led me to come to the Lord, is I'm just like, okay, I've just created a mess. And God, I just need, I just, I, and so there's a promise of better. But then after that promise, God gives us a promise of better. There is always, almost always, and I'm going to say always, because it feels like it, a delay between when that promise comes and between when we received it and when we get it. So there's a delay. And then what God does in that delay is he, he begins to affect our thinking. Do you remember with Abraham what he said? He gave Abraham a promise. He said, you're going to be the father of a nation. And Abraham didn't have any kids for a period of time. And so Abraham began to doubt it and began to say, I don't know if that's really going to happen for me. And the Bible says God took him outside and he said, I want you to look up at the stars of the heaven. He said, so shall your descendants be. And then he said, I want you to look at the sand on the seashore. So shall your descendants be. What was God doing? God was tapping into his thinking. God was tapping into his imagination. Because I guarantee you, when it took longer for Abraham to receive the problem, his imagination began to say, it isn't going to happen. It's not going to happen. And so what God does is he came and he tried to get Abraham to to anchor his thoughts and affect his thoughts. And then what happens is, is after we do that, we begin to experience the promise of God for our life. We begin to see it come to pass in our life. And it's just like, oh my gosh, God, you're incredible. But then the next thing is this, is when we experience his best in our life, we don't make that experience Lord, we keep him Lord. We don't make whatever he did, whatever he brought, whatever he blessed us with as the first thing in my life. But Lord, you're first in my life. And then what happens is, is we stay healthy down here. Our life is healthy. See, the helmet of salvation is what God has promised in his word in regard to an area that's maybe re- been represented in your life by hurt. It's been represented by discouragement. Maybe it's been represented by defeat in your life, the helmet of salvation is God said, Okay, I realize your soul took you in a direction, but now what I want you to do is I want you to make a commitment. You've lived according to the fallen world, but now what I want you to do is I want you to begin to allow me to show you the promises of my word, and you think on them so much that it begins to change the way that you think. It begins to change, and then you begin to step in to all that I've got for your. Life. Are you with me? Stand up if you would. Stand up.